Well, hey there. My name is Pastor Tim, and you have found my podcast. I currently serve as the pastor of First United Methodist Church of Fort Pierce, Florida, and I'm so grateful to be able to connect with you in this way. This podcast is a collection of my sermons and teachings that I hope you will use to deepen and strengthen your connection with Jesus Christ so that you might go and transform the world around you. So kick back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode. Institute for Family Studies, it's a fancy name, shows that uh, in the three years since the COVID-19 pandemic began, church attendance has fallen rather drastically, which likely you have witnessed with your own two eyes, right? It's not really a big secret that churches have, on the whole, struggled to return to uh, pre-pandemic worship, and engagement numbers. But nationwide, uh, the percentage of persons age 18 and up in America who attend church one or more times dropped from 34% in 2019 to 28%. And that's a really concerning number because we are nearing less than a quarter of the American population actively engaging in the life-giving community called the church. But even more concerning than that is the percentage of Americans age 18 and up who never attend a religious service of any type. That number has risen from 50% in 2019 to 57%. That's a 7% increase, which is rapidly approaching a two-thirds supermajority of Americans who never attend a religious service. And folks, these numbers are not even for three years. They're only tracked through the end of 2021, which means that that's a two-year curve. We'll find out what occurred in 2022 after that data is compiled and reported. But the point of all of this is to say that things are not going well for Christianity in America. And perhaps that has to do with uh, just the fact that the pandemic came and changed and rearranged our modern routines. But probably that's only a part of it. Perhaps some of it has to do with the fact that all of the largest and most prolific denominations or brands of Christianity in the world have faced their own difficulties over the past several years that have sullied the reputation of the church universal and have broken public opinion of who Christians are. See, the horrific realities that have surfaced about child abuse within the Catholic Church followed closely on the heels by the prolific cover-up of uh, sexual abuse and misogyny within the Southern Baptist Convention have all crippled the church's reputation in an already skeptical world. 
Now, this is not to just be a scathing review of those out there, you know, our brothers and sisters in other denominations, because the United Methodist Church, the church that we're a part of, is not immune to this mess either. We have hit point break in our current conflict over the full inclusion of LGBTQ persons in the life of the church. It's become a public issue. It's become a public issue in a world that doesn't view discriminatory practices and beliefs of any kind very kindly. And so the truth of it is that all of these recent developments are just really contributing to the overall spiritual decline in the Western world. The church, the good news is, the church is flourishing in other parts of the world, which means that Christianity is not some dying relic of the past. The church is declining because the way that church has been done over the past several hundred or maybe even a thousand years is no longer the way that the church can be most effective in our world. What needs to happen is for something to change. I hinted at this in last week's sermon. You know, we are in uh, the middle of a sermon series which is called Painting with Ashes, which is an attempt to see how God paints with the, the brokenness and with the ashes of our lives in order to create uh, beautiful masterpieces out of the dust. And then how we are invited as God's people to be a part of that process as well. And so we've looked at the fact that we need to recognize our own frailty, our own broken, dry, and desert places that sin has created in us, and that we need to ask God for help. We need to surrender and allow God to come in and help us get out of those broken places. And I also talked at length about how the church is called to be a place that fosters the transformation of people who are seeking new life in Christ. But today we need to take an important side step. Because we need to realize that the church itself is not immune to dry and broken spaces. The church has found itself in a big old desert of its own. And in some instances, this is because the church has committed corporate sin on a massive level. In some instances, it's because we've become complacent in our world. In some instances, it's because we've become primarily inward-focused, forgetting the fact that we inhabit a community that we are called to love. In some instances, it's because we've gone into survival mode. In some instances, it's because we failed to continue to do the work of understanding younger generations. Sometimes, big sometimes, it's because the church has stuck its nose where it doesn't belong. Am I right? But oftentimes, it's because we haven't stuck our nose where it does belong. And so how do we, as a church, move out of the desert and into the call that God has placed on us to be his hands and feet, the light of the world? 
Well, really the same way that we as individuals find our own way out of the mess of our personal lives. By, by admitting like, hey guys, something ain't right here. Something's wrong, something's broken. We're stuck. And then seeking God's help in turning things around. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus gives us a, a pretty good word on this whole idea. See, Jesus is in the middle of teaching some pretty controversial stuff, as he tended to do. Things about a judgment of those who refuse to change. Things about how the consequences of following him are, are pretty steep. And particularly teaching that it's going to get a bit, or maybe very, uncomfortable for those who truly want to be followers of Jesus. And so right at the beginning of uh, Luke chapter 13, which is coincidentally the same chapter that we read last week, uh, Jesus says uh, some very strange things that we're going to look at. And so this is Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. It says, At that very time, there were some present who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And so he asked them, do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way that they were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Shiloh fell on them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. And so what's happening here is that Jesus is being asked about two specific tragic events that happened in the area. And we don't have any other biblical or historical information on these two events, but it's okay because the events themselves aren't what Jesus is actually focused on. What's, it, what's important here is the question that is being asked. Were the people that these things happened to worse sinners than everybody else? Or perhaps what's even more important than that is the question that lies underneath that question. Do bad things happen to people because they are worse sinners than those whom bad things don't happen to? And Jesus' answer twice is no. <laughs> Some of you are like, <laughs> good. <laughs> but Jesus' answer is also, without repentance, the judgment is the same. What this really means is that there's no hierarchy of sinfulness. There are not worse sins over here than over there in God's eyes, which also means that there's not steeper consequences. There's not a hierarchy of consequences either. There are simply two categories of people those who will perish and those who will not. And the difference between the two is repentance. And this is a good thing for us on a personal level, am I right? It means that in the economy of grace, we are all on equal footing. Like our accounts are fully funded through retirement. We're good to go. We're all offered the same deal regarding our debt. Repent 
and be relieved of the burden of sin so that you can move forward into the new and transformed light that awaits you. And when we look at what's happening in the church as a whole, as a Western American world, we have to reckon with this reality too. Because there's a lot of commentary about what's happening with the decline of Christianity. And a lot of people have concluded that the problem is that the church has just been too nice and too tolerant of sinners. That we've lost doctrinal purity. And therefore, God is punishing the church. But I reject that premise because, well, it goes against the very logic of Jesus. However, I do believe that what we find in our modern context is that the church is in grave danger of perishing. Not the universal church, not the global church, not Christianity as a whole. Like I said, that, that's flourishing. Outside of America and Europe, the church is on fire. But I do believe that individual churches, maybe even entire denominations here in the western part of the world, are in deep danger of perishing. And they're in deep danger of perishing because they refuse to surrender. They refuse to repent. And repentance is a word that simply means to turn around and walk in a new direction. Those that do not survive this postmodern world that we live in are going to be those who refuse to turn and head in a new direction. Those who refuse to reckon with their past, who refuse to look at it at honestly, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and decide that a new day must dawn or else the end is near. On a denominational level, that looks like sweeping change and accountability. We can only pray that that's what comes for our Catholic and our Southern Baptist siblings. For United Methodists, it means persevering through the pain of saying goodbye to those who leave us, and then moving forward to paint with the ashes as the dust settles. But more importantly, I think that for our communities, it's really going to come down to what individual churches decide to do. It's going to come down to the decisions that are made that lead us into our future. And you might look at the landscape of all this and the numbers that I quoted for you just a few minutes ago and think to yourself, like, the decline is too steep. It seems so helpless. How will we ever recover? We're snowballing. The good news is, like, Jesus has a story for that. Jesus always has a story for something, right? Right after those words that we previously read, right after he told everyone that unless they repent, all will perish, he tells this story. So this is Luke chapter 13, picking up at verse 6. It says, Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came looking for fruit on it, but he found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? But the gardener 
He replied, sir, just let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put some manure on it. And if it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, then you can cut it down. And this is a good word to a declining church. What this signals is that there is hope for a turnaround. There is hope for a fruitful future if we will allow something new to happen. In the West, this means radically rearranging the soil, digging a trench and pouring some manure of new ideas, of innovation, new values to feed off of. You see, the church of the past has relied largely on tradition. And by that, I mean the tendency of children to follow in the footsteps of their parents' faith journey. Churches have relied on people to be born in, raised in, married in, raise their own children in, and die in the church. And that's just not the case anymore. And you all know that this is true. And so if we can no longer rely on tradition, then churches in the West are going to have to start to innovate. They've got to stop being relics on the corners of downtown areas, and they need to start being vital places where the real work of Jesus is being done in ways that engage in and transform the lives of those who do not know the message of Jesus or the gospel of the kingdom of God. And churches that embrace this reality, who, who realize that we've been, what we've been doing just does not work anymore, are the churches that are going to tap into the fruit-enhancing fertilizer of innovation and engage the world with love. Those churches are going to put themselves into a much better position to bear the fruit of ministry. And that passage is a good word to us as we sit around and we look at all the things that we don't have. It's not uncommon for us here to recall memories of the past got a long legacy of being right here on this corner in this town. It's not uncommon for us to think back to times when youth groups and Sunday school classes dominated the old bones of this old church. And part of that's just because these marks of fruitfulness are easy for us to default to. They're easy for us to default to because they are how we stereotypically measure the health of a church. Do they have kids? Because kids are a future, right? But I'm going to tell you that those aren't the only marks of a fruitful church, and in fact, they probably aren't even the most important marks. Because I was a part of a church that had to close that was filled with teenagers and filled with children. We had plenty of those. What we didn't have was the other stuff that we needed. And so when you look around at what is happening here at this church, I see fruit of ministry being grown. It's evident in many, many ways that this is a spiritually vital church. This is a church that is embracing and engaging the world in a new way. 
that is willing to be in ministry in new ways. We are innovating. We are growing literal fruit. Well, vegetables. But tomatoes are fruits, so they say. And so while, yes, I want like 100 kids running around this church just destroying it every Sunday night, we need to focus on embracing change and embracing new and innovative ways that God is calling us to be the church. And I'm a firm believer of one of my favorite uh, theological reflections in a movie. One of my favorite movies, it's a movie called Field of Dreams, where they say, if you build it, they will come. And that doesn't necessarily mean building new physical structures. It means building ministries. It means building bridges to the world around us. Building relationships. These things that we are actively doing right now that are offering us a new means of being, of existing as Jesus' followers here in Fort Pierce. My dear friend, Greg Rogolino, keeps saying, in fact, the very like, first day that I met him, we stood in the sanctuary, and he said, something's going on here. God is up to something. It's a repeated refrain from him, and it's something that I have grown to believe over my several months of being in this place and seeing that something really is going on here. That God truly is up to something. And you know, I believe that our city is seeing it too. I believe that our city is looking at this relic on the corner of a downtown area where Orange and Seventh meet and thinking to themselves like, something's going on there. God is, is up to something, and I think I might like to check that out. And so because of that, it, it's our job to keep building, to keep dreaming, to keep moving in a direction that will lead us to the fruitful life that God has for us. Perhaps we will be the light, the example to other churches that are relics in downtown areas, that, that there is a church of the future for them. That there is a fruitful and consistent representation of Jesus' love to this world. In order to keep doing this, we've got to rely on the help that's available to us. We've got to take risks when we can. We've got to reimagine what the church can be if we're going to make it long term. I believe that it's not only possible, but that it's what God actually wants. Because God wants the church to be vital. Because vital churches are the vessels that transform God's people. And that is our true mission, to transform this world. And if we want people to find fruitful and transformed lives, then we as a church have got to model what that looks like. And we are well on our way. This church right here has seen the desert. 
We've been in the ashes, am I right? From just dealing with what everyone's dealing with, modern day church decline, dealing with the reality of the COVID-19 pandemic, to really truly living through real and unforeseen tragedy. These past several years have not been easy on us. But just look at all the beauty that is happening through it all. We've become stronger somehow, more spiritually centered, innovative, and willing to do whatever it takes to bring the gospel message to the people of Fort Pierce. And so my prayer is this, that, that together, we will continue to show the rest of the church universal what it looks like. And those little churches on the corners of downtown areas pick up their brushes and start to paint with their ashes too. Let's pray. Holy One, the painter, creator, sustainer, redeemer of all of our mess, all of our brokenness, the ashes that lie behind us because of our past. We invite you to come and do something new in us as individuals and in us as a church to, to continue to give us a, an example to follow, to lead us by the power of your spirit into the uncomfortable but wonderfully rewarding spaces that are ministry into this world. We just praise you and ask you to just continue to show us where you'll, where you'll have us be. Where you'll have us engage in the life-giving work of the gospel that someday with your help that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord and that as Lord Jesus reigns in our, our churches Jesus reigns in our hearts and Jesus reigns in our communities we know that that's not work for you alone. That's work for us as well. So God, show us and lead us how to be just the light sitting on a hill. Casting your love and your light into the, the darkest spaces. The places where no one would dare go and shine a light without your help. rearrange our hearts, rearrange our priorities, rearrange our motives to be only yours. We ask all this in Jesus' name.